I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is comedian, writer and television presenter Matt Richardson. Matt is probably best known for presenting The Extra Factor on ITV2 and The Drive Time Show on Virgin Radio. His other television credits include hosting Celebrity Haunted Live as well as appearances on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Big Brother's Bit on the Side and I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now as well as my favourite show in the world, The Chase, amongst many others. Matt is also a very young veteran of the UK stand-up circuit, having started all the way back in 2009 as an 18-year-old, but has already taken three tours across the country, Hometown Hero back in 2014, Slash in 2017, and Imposter that is currently touring as we speak. So with all that going on, I'd like to give a huge, almost famous hello to Matt Richardson. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, Matt. We'll get into your intro, because I always like to ask uh, if it was, you know, if I miss anything out. But first, I want to say... Uh, as I always do now, we're recording from the podcast studio, uh, the podcast lounge, sorry, at Factory Studios. Uh, if you guys at home have got ideas for a podcast and you're thinking, I need somewhere to create one, uh, go to factory.uk.com because this room, Matt, isn't it lovely? It's it's really nice. I would say this is the poshest room I've ever made a podcast in. Well, Matt, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even tee him up it's like, to say that. It's like a luxury central London living room, but it's soundproof. <laughs> it, it is. There, there's genuinely plants it's, and stuff in here as well. It's absolutely beautiful. Um your intro, Matt. Uh, yes. So basically, uh, the first series, my intros tended to be about two and a half minutes long. Oh, I wow. got some notes, make them a bit, a bit more pithy. So I've had to miss some stuff out. But do you think I, I got the the nuts and bolts? The nuts and bolts, absolutely. Basically, like just spin-off shows. That's kind of what I've spent my life doing. Um, but also, I've got... I've no, There's I don't nothing get wrong called, with spin-off no, shows. No, no. I'm not laughing because I mean, I've, No, absolutely, but I've done all of them. Like, I've been on every single one. I've even hosted spin-off shows of shows that didn't need a spin-off show. Have so you did, ever hosted a spin-off show of a spin-off show? No, I haven't, but years ago... It's um, coming. There's like... Do, do you remember... There's a, there's a real cult comedy thing that was around for a while called the, the, Bear, the, Bear, Pit, the Bear Pit Podcast... Yeah, you know, I've yeah, heard yeah, yeah. of it, for Which sure. Which is like Matt Ewins and Matt Winning and all those. Yeah. And it wasn't a podcast, it was a live show. But there was a point where we discussed me hosting the spin-off show live next to the actual show going on. Oh which God. I thought would have been a bit too meta. It's so meta that I'm confused to even think <laughs> yeah. about it. But, you know, like, uh, I did that show, Celebrity Haunted Mansion, which is a show I did on W. We had a spin-off show of that. And, I mean, no one was watching the main show enough <laughs> to justify an hour extra of it. But we did it anyway. Why not? Is it not too early to say that in case it comes back for another no, second no, that, spin-off? That's done. That's done. We've done... We did two series of that, miraculously. Um... But yeah, yeah, and you call me a writer. People very rarely call me a writer, which I really... Well, you're a stand-up comedian who writes his own material. I do, you're a yeah, writer. yeah, but I'm not... And you must of... write for some of these spin-off shows as well, I'm I sure. I do, but I don't get called a writer very often. I just get called a comedian presenter well, type. I think, I think that opens up an interesting question, which is as a, a stand-up, do you, so do you feel like the writing, the kind of writing side of it gets a little lost sometimes? So I think I'm a performer who writes my own stuff rather than a writer who has to perform, which is Gary Delaney, the comedian, says there's two types of comedians. There's performers blagging it as writers and writers blagging it as performers. And I'm definitely a performer who's a weaker writer than, like, and I hate it as well. Right. I find it really hard writing comedy. Okay. Like, I really, really struggle to do it. So, hard question here that's just occurred to me because I think. 
Um, some people might not like this question. Have you ever employed anyone to help you write for your stand-up? Never, only because I can't afford it all the time. It's really expensive. <laughs> so you wouldn't be afraid to? I wouldn't. No, 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 no. I think if I was touring massive tours, and there are lots of big comedians that do it and sort of don't talk about yeah. it, but I would absolutely use someone. And I, I know some comics who are brilliant writers, and I've written with for telly, yeah. and I would use them to write stand-up yeah. with me in a heartbeat. Because I've always thought of that as well. I wouldn't be ashamed of it. I wouldn't be ashamed to... Because it's collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a weird job in that you do everything alone as a stand-up. And then once you... I mean, you know this as well. Like When you're developing television and working in telly, it's really collaborative. And yeah. you're like, oh, this this works. That's yeah. why everyone else does it like this. Yeah. So then you go back to writing stand-up and you just think, oh, it'd be nice to have people around. Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely wouldn't. I wouldn't be ashamed of it either. Okay, so um, obviously this is the almost famous podcast. I yeah. always ask the first question that's the same. Some people find it easy to answer. Some people don't. Matt Richardson, are you famous? Famous. I'm on stuff. So I'm on the telly, but I'm not like famous. Like people know who I am, but I don't have mega fans. Mm -hmm. So like someone like Ramesh Ranganathan has people queuing round venues early to get there to see him. People I, I walk past people in the street and they go, You're that bloke, aren't you? But they don't care. What I say is I'm outside of London famous. Oh, okay. So if I'm in Kent, like I was in Maidstone the other day, like I'll get stopped a couple of times in Maidstone, but no one cares about me in London. Okay. So like the smaller towns, people kind of clock me, but not not in everywhere big. And what do you think? Where so this is interesting for me as well because I always have to when looking to book guests here. There's kind of uh, for this show. There's a line. So for instance, I used to have uh, a lot of arguments with my producer in the first series when she would suggest guests, and I'd say it's called almost famous, not almost almost successful, <laughs> right? So I guess my question is, what is fame in essence? To me, to me, the the line that I draw when thinking about booking guests for this is. Do, do you get? Does this person get stopped in the street? That's where I draw my line. Yeah, I think, and I don't uh, care whether that's in uh, Maidstone yeah, or London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that is fame. Like you know, like it's a it's a low level of fame, but it's like fame nonetheless. Yeah. But um, but yeah, you're right. Successful people. There are some people I know who will never be famous but have very nice careers. Yeah, and like couldn't care less because they're writing for other people and they're making a fortune or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a very different, weird thing, isn't it? Fame and also. Like, I guess you're famous to different people. Like, I went recently to, to my mum works in a school and she asked me to go in and talk to the kids at this school about, about kind of jobs you can do in television and radio yeah. and things. And, um, and all they wanted to talk about was YouTubers. Yeah. That's all they cared about. And they were asking, all they asked was, have you met blah, blah, have you mm. met blah, blah. And I didn't know who any of these YouTubers were, but to them, they're mega stars. No, and then I was going, right. well, I've interviewed loads of famous people. Like I've interviewed Dua Lipa and, you know, <laughs> Zac Efron. And they're like, who are they? I did a show many years ago called Viral Tap, an ITV2 yeah. panel show, which was, for all intensive purposes, terrible. Like it was, an, it was really, it was, it wasn't a fun shoot. Everyone on it, we had an awful time. Right? Did you know when you agreed to it that it was going to be terrible? No, I knew on the first day of filming okay. that it was a mistake. Okay. Um, but actually, I'd, yeah, another an agent friend of mine was like, "You should not go on that." show. You just stopped yourself from saying something. Though. No, I no, love no. That. Um, so I was, it was at a time where I was looking for a new agent, and I approached an agent. And I went, okay, what would you do for me? And they went, the first thing I'd do is get you out of viral tap. And I was like, don't be stupid. That's absolute nonsense. They're paying me. It's yeah. fine. I'm happy yeah. to do it. And she went, it's a mistake. And then about three, well, three minutes into the first record, I went, oh my God, she was so right. Mm. It was, but I did it with a YouTuber. There was a YouTuber who was on it every other week. Mm. And um, Who and was that? He was called Jim Campbell. Jim Chapman, sorry, not Jim Campbell. Jim Campbell is from, uh, he's a comedian. Jim yeah, Jim Campbell. Campbell's a comedian. So Jim Chapman. Jim Chapman, who's like, he doesn't do a thing, he just like chats to his audience, right? And he's a perfectly nice chap and all this kind of stuff. And um, and he was, it was really interesting working with him because like, he sort of had this inbuilt audience. So sometimes I would make a joke and he would make a joke and he'd be like, well, you know, 600,000 people agree that I'm funny and how many agree that you're funny? And I'd be like, oh, cool, man. What a bell end thing to say, yeah, but whatever. Burn. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... but uh, I think because he was maybe out of his comfort zone in a panel yeah. show, so that's why he was sort of like being yeah. quite a lot of bravado. Yeah. Um, but once, he basically wanted to get on the show more often, like on the panel, rather than doing these VTs. Mm. And, um, and his agent, one week, made him not tweet or Instagram about the show. And they came in and they were like, well, as you can see, as protest, we didn't do the tweets. And your, um, your social interaction was down like 95%. But oh. it was our highest rated show on the television of the whole series. What a bunch of cunts. But, but that's for them, like that's the different kind of fame. And also, their inbuilt audience, he was probably the first YouTuber to do like an ITV2 show. And they were basically going, it's great. He's coming in. He's got half a million subscribers. Yeah. That's a guaranteed audience. Yeah. And it turns out none of them watch anything that isn't no. their YouTube. It's no. not a transferable no. audience, which no. I thought was really interesting that yeah. they're still doing this thing where they're like, well, 
He's a, he's, a, he's a YouTuber with loads of followers. No, and you're that, like, none of them care about so telly. That's really interesting because uh, we're getting a little bit into the nuts and bolts of digital versus TV here. But yeah. um, having worked in both digital and TV, it's absolutely right that producers of TV are still so young in terms of the... Um, or it's so early in terms of what they know about digital that they do think that the click-through rate is going to really work, and it really doesn't. No. The click, click-through rate doesn't even work from Twitter to YouTube or anything. No. People have their... Um, their platform that they like and they want to stick on that and they'll watch things if they're on that platform that they won't click across so that's really fascinating but in terms of uh, I want to say I said um, slightly worried that people might think when I said sick burn there I wasn't lacing it with irony I was uh, <laughs> I was doing that um, but uh, yeah no that's really fascinating uh, I want to bring it back to um, when we were talking about fame and whether you think you're famous and then bringing up Ramesh and Rob and stuff I'm intrigued as to whether you aspire to a level of fame to go across to maybe prime time stuff or whether you just aspire for more success and that kind of financial stability side of it what what are your kind of aspirations fame and success wise so my dream my dream would be to just be really successful making non-broadcast pilots okay to be like the go-to presenter that they're like look we're making this pilot it's not going on telly do you want to host it we'll give you 10 grand a pop yeah that would be brilliant because then you're just sort of immune from any criticism from the outside world and things which is boring um but yeah of course i mean like having done like loads of presenting and things like going and doing prime time and things like that would be lovely mm. but i'm not worried about people stopping me in the street i'd more like the stability because as you know like comedy yeah and television aren't a stable no. career at all but if you you um if you got that dream job for instance don't you think you might miss the attention the affirmation um maybe i don't really know it's weird isn't it because like i love i love doing stand-up still like and I, i kind of took after i did the extra factor i did a tour and and it went it went sort of quite badly that tour like it wasn't it was really badly promoted and like I was playing to like 40 people in 300 seat rooms and stuff and it was Mm. grim. Mm. Um, So I basically stopped doing stand-up for four years Um, and I did like gigs here and there, like maybe a gig a week or something but Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing like, I was, when I was on the circuit I was doing six gigs a week without fail and um and it was it was kind of nice, but I did miss that affirmation in front of an audience. But when people stop you in the street to talk to you, it's still seven years later after it started happening makes me feel weird. Like, yeah. I, I don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, you know, in the way that, um, you know, when people give you a compliment and you're like, I, I, uh, thanks, I guess, but mm. please, can you stop doing this? Because it's making me feel awkward. Mm. That's how it feels when people want to tell you that you're funny out of the context of I'm on stage and I'm in charge. Yeah. So I don't know if I would miss that or not. And also, like, I've got some famous friends, like properly famous friends. Mm. And actually, I look at it and I'm going, God, what a nightmare your life must be. Yeah. Like there's certain like certain people are absolutely fine, but like I've got one mate who I my, my friend Matt who I do a podcast with, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Willis, who was in Busted, yeah. and like we've had on our podcast we've had like a couple of like we had the Derry Girls on our podcast, yeah. and they're all women in their twenties who when they meet him are like, oh my god, I've seen you live, I love you, I had I your picture your on my wall, and it's re- they're being really lovely, but even he after twenty years of that is like, I don't really know what to do with myself. Yeah. God, what torture, especially because he's come back round into sort of being cool again because, you know, that whole retro thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, maybe I wouldn't like that. But then actually I probably would because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a lush as well. I love showbiz and all that stuff. So, okay. So I'm well into it all. Well, that's interesting because I was going to ask whether you think there are people who, when they get stopped in the street, they absolutely embrace it and they're just like, you know, this is what I live for. This is what I work so hard to get into show business for. Um, I think it's a byproduct. Like, it makes me feel weird, but I don't dislike it. Mm. So I'm quite awkward. It's like, it makes me feel nice, but it makes me uncomfortable. But people get so apologetic about stopping you. And like, it doesn't happen to me like five or six times a day. It happens to me three times a week. But people come over and they're like, I'm really sorry, but I just wanted to tell you I think you're funny. And I'm like, don't apologise yeah. for being so lovely. But I think... That might be the Britishness though. Because if it was in America, that would probably be different. Yeah, absolutely. And also when people are drunk, they're much less apologetic about it. Yeah. But then you also get the other side, which is um, normally men around my age who come over to you in clubs and are like, especially small towns, and are like, um, they're saying you're famous, but I've never heard of you. And you're like, right. cool. I mean, that didn't need to be, say, that didn't need to be said at no. all. So that's the weird bit. That feels like mo- moments where you have to 
automatically try and defuse what could be a fight if you say the wrong thing. Pretty much, yeah. And it's and it's that like I'm not trying. I've not come in here to try and be. I'm just coming in here to the pub. And because I'm from a small town, yeah. it happens a lot in my hometown yeah. where people come up. They're like, "You think you're better than us?" And I'm like, "No, I've just got a yeah. weird job. That's it all." It feels is. so grotty and horrible. Like, but, that would make me not want to go back to my. Well, I, so I came from Woking, which is provincial town. Yeah, vibes. yeah, yeah. Uh, Not that I've ever been like spotted or anything in Woking, but if I was, it would make me feel so anxious. I think. I remember once. So the year I did the extra factor in 2013, which is like my first thing I did on telly, and that Christmas, so it'd been on all sort of autumn, and I, I was home for Christmas. I still lived at home at that point. I still lived with my parents, um, and I went, I went to the pub, and I wore a turtleneck jumper, and someone came up. <laughs> of to course, me. you did because you're on TV yeah, now. Yeah, but someone literally came up to me and he went, "Yeah, that's right. Get on TV. Buy a fucking turtleneck. That's who you are now." And I was like, "It's a jumper. Like, it's not a statement in any way." You were giving it your full Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, I really was, and like people were like, "Yeah, that's yeah, yeah." He's bought a turtleneck now. What an asshole! I'm interested in wonder. I uh, wonder if, if for, for the audience, um, mm. you mentioned how the Extra Fact was your first job on TV. Yes. What were like the what were like the nuts and bolts of how you got that job? So obviously you were doing stand-up. Yeah. But for people who maybe aspire to get involved in TV and maybe think, oh, maybe I'll go the stand-up route, how did that kind of come about? So I was doing stand-up. I've been doing stand-up since 2009. I just started at the end of then. So like you say, roughly the same time as you, because that's mm-hmm. when we all met, really, wasn't mm-hmm. it, doing stand-up? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was kind of doing that. I was sort of doing it full-time. And I did Edinburgh. I went to the Edinburgh Fringe with Angela Barnes. We did a two-hander together. Yeah. And um, we went, we did the show... And uh, it, it was a really good, like every day was really good. And we were doing we were doing a miserable show in the evening together with Ramesh and Ellie Taylor, where we just couldn't sell any tickets. Yeah. The four of us, which I mean, that's such a great lineup now. <laughs> no, but at the time, yeah, yeah. like we were playing to twelve people a night, and it was depressing. Um, so went to Edinburgh. That's stand up guys. That's yeah. the reality of Edinburgh. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edinburgh's awful. Um, <laughs> and then uh, what happened was is um, about maybe the February, so like the February 2013. That was 2012. Um, my agent got an email from ITV going, oh, uh, we'd like to see Matt about a job on The Extra Factor if he'd like to come in. And I was kind of like, um, uh, yeah, fine. And it turns out the ITV the ITV2 commissioner had been to see Angela and I in Edinburgh and right. had really liked it. And you didn't know. We didn't know. Probably best you didn't know. Probably best. And she hadn't even gone because she'd been asked. She kind of just picked a few random shows and we just happened to be wow. one of the shows she picked because we were at a time where there was nothing else yeah. on. And um, <laughs> and then they asked me in and I was kind of thinking, okay, the extra, what they're going to be doing is, it was when Caroline Flack and Ollie Murs were hosting it together. Yeah. And I kind of went, oh, what they'll be doing is adding a comedian like on the Jungle spin-off where they used to have a comedian doing yep. like five minutes of stand-up mm-hmm. every week. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll go in, I'll go in for this meeting, yeah, whatever. And I went in with the executive of X Factor and... Basically, they were like, so this is to replace Ollie. Ollie's going to be leaving and mm-hmm. you'll be lo- we're looking for someone to fill that spot with Caroline. And was was like, this a meeting or an audition? No, so this was a meeting. So yeah. it started with a meeting and they basically sat me down and went, what would you change about the show? And as soon as they went, it's to replace Ollie Murs. I'd never done telly. I'd maybe done one of those talking head shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nothing else. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not going to get this. So I don't really, I'm not like, I had no pressure on it. So I just went, I would change everything. I was like, I don't like the way... Had you been a, had you been a regular viewer of, of the show? No, uh, I hadn't. <laughs> but like, I'd seen enough that yeah. I knew what, what it was. And like, Yeah, and, I, and also because of Caroline and Ollie, like the whole thing when they were doing it was, let's flirt and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I went, I hate all that. Let's get rid of that. I wouldn't dare flirt with Caroline. Like, I, it's just not... It's, I wouldn't like to do it. Like, yeah. I think it'd be a different relationship. Like, yeah. I don't enjoy that on telly. Mm-hmm. And apparently after I got the job, they went, you're the only one that said they wouldn't have flirted with it. Everyone else was like, well, obviously I'll carry on the flirting right. with the guys. Right. Um, and then they kind of went, okay, do you want to come in for a screen test with Caroline? And I'd worked with Caroline already. Um, we did a pilot together of what would end up being Viral mm-hmm. Tap with uh, Charlie Baker and Ashling B, which yeah. is a really fun pilot. And um, and so we got in, and because we'd met and we'd had we'd been on a, n- a night out together, mm-hmm. we sort of had a bit of chemistry anyway. Yeah. And we basically just I pissed around in this screen test. Yeah. So it was in front of all of the psycho and ITV lot yeah. and. Um, and the, the thing that apparently got me the job was Caroline kept saying to me, and she said this the whole way through the shows we presented together, was she always used to make me stand slightly behind her because it made her look smaller. So she kind of told me that at the beginning of this um, screen test and I accidentally kind of was stood in front of her and I went, oh, sorry, I'll move back again so you look less fat. <laughs> and they record, they were filming it and they left that line in my tape and that's the tape they sent to Simon Cow. Right. And that's oh, wow. the joke he cast me off. Oh, really? Because I said that and it made him laugh. Because everyone else had been like flirting with her yeah. and I wasn't afraid to make her look silly. Which is fine because Caroline was very good at being the butt of the joke. Like she really enjoyed that. Yeah. And no one else would do it with her, but I wasn't bothered about it. 
Yeah, so for the audience, um, or those of you not involved in TV, Psycho is the production company that make um, X Factor with Fremantle and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Simon, it's Simon Cowell's company, that's why it's called Psycho, obviously named yep. it after himself. And um, it interests me that it does go all the way up to him, like even those yeah. decisions for the spin off shows. So he and wasn't stuff. even on my series, it was Gary Barlow, my year. Yeah. But it's, Simon is still very much involved. Yeah. And like when the first shows go out, like I'd never met him while I was on the show, but you'd always get. Um, an exec coming up going, Simon's really happy with what you're doing. Oh, and like you just occasionally get like a little bit of information about what Simon liked. Right. And which is quite nice. And then yeah. I did meet him after I'd done the show and he was really nice. Yeah. Well, I met him. I say I met him and he was really nice. I was quite drunk at an awards do and I went up to him and asked him for my P45 because <laughs> I wasn't going back. And he thought that was funny. And was really lovely and kind yeah. about it, but um, it didn't. It didn't win. It didn't get it, you didn't back get, on. No, I didn't get the show back. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It kind of went all the way up to the top, and then um, I kind of did that, and I was like, oh, "We'll see." But I thought it'd gone well, and Caroline was messaging me, going, "It was really good. We really like you. We've not heard anything," and we kind of kept in touch, and it was it was really weird because it was because it was Ollie Mers that was leaving. It was in the paper every day. Like there were odds on who was going to replace him. Wow. So like Nick Grimshaw, Greg James, like all these kind of big people. Yeah. Um, and about two weeks, three weeks before it was announced, they called me to be like, you've got the job, um, which was amazing, like really cool. Mm. Um, but they kept running all these things. So I was like, I should go and put a yes, bet you on should. myself. Absolutely. Because, but, but then that's inside a trading. inside a trading, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you so have I to did, get your mate's mate. Yeah, mate. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I didn't do it. But, um, but yeah, yeah. And, it, it kind of, and then it got announced. Yeah. So we're resounding, who the fuck is he? <laughs> but it's really nice because ITV, basically ITV wanted Caroline to do it alone. I later found out. But Psycho really wanted to push me. And so Psycho were like really into me. Yeah. So ITV wouldn't fund a second presenter. So Psycho paid for me out oh, of their wow. own budget wow. because they wanted to they wanted to p- give a platform to a new up-and-coming person, which is really unheard of now. Yeah. And I feel bad because lots of people get in touch with me going, I'd love to be a presenter, how do I do it? And I'm like, I've sort of thought, I never intended to get into presenting. Mm. Like, I was always like, I want to be a stand-up and nothing mm. else. Pure stand-up. Um, but yeah, I kind of did it that way. But so I think that will have helped you in terms of, because I was thinking when you were telling that story about pissing around in the screen test, that the fact that you put no pressure on yourself and wouldn't have had, you know, 20 years of pressure on yourself because this was your dream job yeah. will have absolutely helped you come across as naturally as, as they, they needed you to. Totally. And I think um, I think as well, like, it was really nice doing the show as a stand-up because, like, it, it's a load of skill sets that actually make that much easier, I think. Yeah. Like, n- the worst thing that can happen on TV isn't as bad as the worst thing that can happen doing a gig, mm. which is you getting beaten up on stage, which has very nearly happened a few times. But um, but yeah, I think I didn't put loads of pressure on it. But once it had gone well, I was really nervous about getting it after all the auditions had happened, which is probably a good time to get nervous. Yeah. And it was like weeks and weeks it took them to get it to sort of say. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of no pressure really because yeah. I was like, well, this is my first ever screen test for something, like as if they're going to give it to some 21-year-old comedian. Um, when Nick Grimshaw's up for it, Marvin from JLS and all these other people yeah. are up for it and yeah. like presenters and stuff. Yeah. So, so I just kind of went, I'll use this as a nice learning experience. I think that's the, I think that's the best way to get things. Absolutely. You, you talked um, about working with Caroline, obviously very, yes. very difficult Let's um, talk. Time. Let's talk about it. Uh, I just wondered whether um, you, from working with her so much, I mean, close to her as well, must have a, a prime insight into how people treated you differently uh, from doing the same job as they treated her. Yeah. The big thing with us too was, I mean, the thing with Caroline was she always had a rough ride. Mm. Like, I mean, I know recently... Like, why, why do you think that was though? I, I don't know, but like they were obsessed... It's not just because she's a woman. Obviously, women get a rough ride no, compared absolutely. to men anyway. But like, it, I think her... There were People were obsessed with her dating life, obviously yeah. because of Harry, Harry Styles. Styles, Prince Harry, like, and the rest of it. And... um. And also, she went out with... It kind of started when she went out with Harry Styles because I think the press interest in Harry Styles and One Mm. Direction, Mm. like, leaked over to her. Like, when she was going out with Harry, she was getting her tyres slashed outside her house of her car and, like, there'd be people waiting outside her house every day. And it's... I mean, which sounds grim. But then even when we were... You know, when we were, like, hanging out and stuff and out, like, there'd always be photographers wherever you go, like... um, But that's because people tip them off, you know, people who are in the club and, or, you know, or if you're going to a trendy bar and they want their bar mentioned, that's what they do when famous people are in there. Or you get off a flight and, you know, Virgin will go, these right. people are on the flight because they yeah. want the plug for Virgin. Yeah. Um, and she did, she got harassed, but the thing she got harassed the most about was how she looked and that really bothered her. So when we were on the show, she was always worried about 
like more more than she should have been about what she was wearing and stuff because she, oh, she was a good presenter, she was doing a good job, but all people would be like, "Is that oh that dress doesn't look very nice on her? Oh, what does she think she's wearing?" Mm. And that would really bother her. And like I think years of that is going to grind you down no end. Yeah. Especially when it's irrelevant. Like no one ever used to mention what I wore or what I looked like. Mm. They just mentioned if they thought I was funny or not or if I was good or not, which I can deal with. But if they're going, "You look shit. You look fat." Blah blah blah. Like when what can you do about that? Like no. that that is your body and that is your face. Yeah. You know. And I think that was always really grim and she'd be like we'd be doing a live show and in the break she'd be on online seeing what people were saying about her and like you become obsessed with it like when I was doing less so these days but like when I was on extra because it's such a, a big well, it was such a big show X Factor especially when we were doing it, it you're getting 50,000 tweets a night and people are so into talking about it and they're so into that world yeah that you get um, people just, they, yeah, you, you really become obsessed with it. Whereas now, when I'm on, I couldn't care less what people say. Like, I'm really over it now. But when you're in it and, like, it's this big old world and, like, everyone cares about it, it's really easy to get sucked in and care what everyone's saying. The thick skin that you developed from 10 years or, or five years of whatever it was at the time of stand-up must have helped you through that. But I wonder if, like, I wonder if even standing next to Caroline, watching her... Yeah, and I'm sure every presenter does it to some degree, but watching her give her, almost give herself the opportunity to be hurt... Absolutely. By something mid-show, must because you know. even back then, um, I was I would really disagree with her with it because as soon as we right. went to the break, she'd go on her phone and be looking. Whereas I would never even take my phone on. No. I'd be like, "Look, we're going to do the show, and then I'll find out what was going on." And because also, once you're looking, you're going to find it, whether it's there or not. That's know? the issue. You will, and like if you don't find it the first time, you do a deeper search and yeah. deeper search until like I've been on like the Big Brother forums where they've they're calling me all sorts of names. <laughs> and I'm like, it took me ages to get there, but that was another show where I then became obsessed with what people thought about me because it was all negative. They hated me on Big Brother's bit on the side when I was doing that. Right. Um, because so, you weren't... I don't know, but for whatever reason, I didn't click with that audience. Right. So I did stand-up on it for three series um, twice a week and about the show. Yeah. And they hated, like, hated me. Yeah. And it was at a time, actually, where I probably wasn't very happy anyway. Yeah. So I was looking for the negative stuff. Right. But Caroline always found it and it, would, and it would really ruin her night when we'd had a great show and had a really good time. And, um, and I think, you know, and I think if you're a woman, there's more for people to say about you as yeah. well, which is hard. Um, but then it was frustrating because she she always had a thick skin about it, and um, but I think it, there's only so much you can hack, isn't there? Before it starts to wear you down. Yeah. And um and you know and she was she was very good at everything else. She's really lovely. Like I mean I had never done telly before, so she basically taught me how to uh, how to present really, how to work with a co-host, how to do, um, how to like deal with the press and things like that. Like mm. you know, Psycho and Fremantle had a press officer. And they sit you down, they sat me down before the show and they were like, look, we need to know about anything that might come out in the press. like Skeletons. Any skeletons. And Caroline had briefed me going, don't tell them anything. She's like, because the press don't know anything about you. Yeah. So they, and if the show's not doing very well, they will leak those stories to then get people interested in the show. Wow. She's like, it's what they do with all the contestants. It's what they do with the contestants on yeah. X Factor. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff. It's no, like they're very controlled about the press so that people, comes out. So people pretending to be helping you, but actually on the flip side, they will use it against you. That's basically what she told me. Ba early doors, we went out for dinner together before we started. And she went, I'm the only person you should trust. Like we're in this together. Everyone else is against us. She, and actually, you know, all of our producers and stuff we were friends with. But she went, anything, like she goes, talk to me first because you don't know what links they're trying to get with yeah. other jobs. You don't know any yeah. of these people. Well, I, you, you two are representing yourselves yeah. as, as well as the company and the, produ the production, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But the people working for the production are only representing Absolutely. the production. Yeah. Um, and that was really useful. And mm. there was a few times where we do things she go no 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 don't say anything it's like just leave it and even though they're acting like they'd help you because I was so naive so she was because she was so savvy and had yeah. been through the ringer yeah. she sort of knew all that which That's really That's so helped. amazing of her to to give you that as well because yeah. some people get some people especially kind of presentary types and actors are, je are jealous inherently they don't want the, a younger version you no, know no, you're, no. obviously you're not a woman so it's not quite as direct but I'm obviously I'm have you watched the morning show No oh, I haven't right. yet there's a lot of that on kind of the morning show um which is the uh, Apple Plus show with Jennifer Aniston or whatever. But but it's real. I've worked in television. You see yeah. it. People are jealous and they don't want to help other people no. get a leg up in that career. So that's really, It was really, really nice. And also, I think, um, basically, they'd said to Caroline, when, uh, when they cast me, that from what I understand from her, was, look, you don't have to have a co-host, but if you find one you like, we will we'll, we'll do it. And, you know, you can be a part of the process. So I think she felt quite responsible for me because mm. she went, I would like to work with him. Yeah. And sort of plucked me out of nothing 
So the fact I was being thrown into this world kind of unexpectedly, she felt a bit of responsibility over. Uh-huh. So she was very protective and she was very loyal to me and really looked after me. Amazing. And uh, there was lots of kind of, you know, there's lots of unsavory figures in television and press and things like that that she really kind of steered me around. Yeah. Um, and it's such a shame that, I mean, it's such a shame that it ended like it did with her because... I always felt like she had it down to Pat, like, dealing with it all. Yeah. But clearly, like, obviously not. You know, it got one too far. The fucking devastating thing is that they're the stories. The stories that you've just told us are the things that don't sell newspapers so nobody knows. No one, give, like, and no one gives a fuck and, because of because everyone's, you know, people who buy those red-top newspapers are, you know, they want to gossip, they want to talk absolutely. about Absolutely, and I'm not going to sit... I, I can't sit here and pretend that, that our working relationship was plain sailing. Like, we argued a lot. We, we, fell, out, we fell out a lot, like, actually. And but then we'd we'd sit down and we'd really talk it out and like mm. and she could be difficult and uh, you know she could be stubborn sometimes and I'd want to do things one way that I knew was the funniest way and then she'd want to do it another way right. and then she'd get angry that it wasn't funnier and I'd be like you should fucking listen to me like <laughs> God's sake um, that but, sounds healthy to me yeah, I mean yeah, obviously you know I push back and like and yeah. we used to push back against each other um, and we you know we had a few we had a, we had one whole weekend where we didn't even speak to each other because we'd fallen out over something right. we only spoke to each other live on camera <laughs> and then on the Sunday night we went out together and we got drunk and we'd both like oh, I'm so sorry I love yeah. you you're amazing yeah. um, well that's but, friendship though yeah that's absolutely um, yeah. but she was um, she was inc- like she was a complicated person but she was Really, she was very loyal, and she—if she liked you, and like you know, you were in her circle, and she trusted you, she was super kind. Like there was no one else yeah. in the world that she'd want to be around. But she was very suspicious of people. No, so like, I was going to say, trust must be must have been the hardest. Thing yeah, because she'd been fucked over a lot, and yeah. I think like there was a few times we'd go. I'd be like, I'd go out. And she'd text me and she'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm out with some friends in town. And she'd go, oh, can I come and join you? Mm-hmm. And she would. And then she'd almost be offish with my mates because she didn't know them. So she didn't know. And I'm like, look, I've known these people since I was six. Like, yeah. it's safe. And then she'd be fine. Yeah. But because I think she'd been messed around so much, yeah. she was a bit kind of, she could be standoffish with people because she didn't know what they wanted from her. I think her. that's a bit of a performery thing as well, actually, yeah. is, is uh, as well as, a fa- obviously, the fame will have, will have really affected that. But a performery thing is like, you're, you're kind of, you put guards up. Because you're yeah. that kind of person who needs that affirmation, but you want it to be for, in the right reasons, for the right reasons. And yeah, I can totally understand that. And I think like having met now like people that are famous for years, there's a lot of them that are very standoffish because I do think a lot of them have been hurt or, you know, stung by people. Yeah. So when you meet them, like, you know, I've met people, obviously loads of them, they don't know who you are. So I'm kind of chatting to them as normally. You can feel that until they kind of work out what you do, they're really odd with you so yeah. like, I've had you know before where I've chatted to someone they're like what do you do I'm like oh I, I present a show with her or I'm doing a show with like I did it, was out once at a party with um, I did a show with Christine Lampard and I was like oh I'm, I'm, I'm presenting a show with her and as soon as they're like okay you're right. one of us yeah. then it's fine that's ugly though isn't it it's ugly but I, I don't think it's ugly in a way of um I don't want to talk to people that aren't fa- that aren't on telly. Right. I think it's it's a trust thing. A trust thing of okay, you're not going to fuck me over Got because it. we're in the same boat, okay. rather than um, I don't want to talk to you because you're not yeah. like me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. But uh, it can seem like that, I no, think. No, I think the reason I mean the reason I say ugly is I so I know I'd say the most of the famous people I know are of a kind of older generation. Yeah. And uh when they got famous, they didn't have social media and that no. side of it. So I think there's a, with them, what I sense from them a bit more, and I've talked to a few of them about it, is that they just really enjoy the kind of sense of the club. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the yeah, sense yeah. of, oh, well, I'm going to such and such as, um, they used to all talk about the, the parties David Frost would put on. Oh, right. The big David Frost. Oh, yeah, I'm going to David Frost's party. And very, like, you, you know, if you get an invite, you're in the club. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. But I think you're probably right about the kind of the newer generations having to deal with so much abuse and so much trolling that it is, that it is a trust thing a lot and more also, probably. And also, I think in the 90s and the early 2000s, you didn't really have to worry about people taking photos of you doing... Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, eating your there's food. A, there's a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs in telly. Mm. And I feel bad for people that, you know, get caught at a festival taking a pill if they want to take a pill like yeah. knock yourself out but these days that's one phone fo- that's one photo on a phone and that's your career done mm, yeah. whereas in the 90s you could get as fucked as you liked no. and it didn't matter and I think now people are so worried about someone else ruining their career for like 500 quid for a photo no, that's, so that's the sense I get but um like you know there's it's it's really fascinating kind of like lots of people I know who are well known have a little clique that they're really kind of opening, but anyone outside of that, like, it's a shutdown. And, like, even if I'm not in the clique, I know them a bit. If you're not in that clique, like, you don't see the real them, really. Yeah. Because you can get you can get messed over so easily. No, I think you're right. And actually, this is a good point, because I read an article while I was doing my prep uh, that talked about how you were in a relationship with someone from Maiden Chelsea. Yes, I didn't I know about that. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Matt, I didn't know no, about no, no, your, your private life. But I wondered how, <laughs> presumably, that then allowed tabloids and press into your private life, and how did that feel? So, um... Ashley, who I went out with, wasn't kind of um, in like... I mean, I don't think she'd be offended me saying this if she heard this, but she wasn't one of like... She wasn't Spencer. She wasn't one of the big ones in Made in Chelsea. She did a series of it Mm -hmm. and all that, and then she was kind of doing other stuff. Um, And after we'd been out, she went into Celebrity Big Brother and has kind of had a whole new resurgence of her career. He's doing incredibly well. Um, Showing my age because I have no idea who this person is, but there you go. And and, and the thing is, we kind of, we started to go out and she was very keen on going to events and doing that because as a reality star and she was trying to do, like, become... Six years ago, just before it was a real big thing, she was trying to do influencing stuff. Right. That's really essential. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it wasn't my vibe at all. Like, I'm not one to go no. to the opening of an envelope. But Did she want you, as a partnership, yeah. to be a celebrity couple, Well, do you she think? did at one point. So she wanted to sign with this publicity, the, these publicists who were... Max Clifford's daughter and that company the old Max Clifford lot minus Max what could possibly go wrong yeah um, and they were doing management and stuff and there was a point where they were like look Ashley we'll manage you if we can do Matt's PR and then this was really towards the end of our relationship and and basically it what it didn't it wasn't really for me um, and, but then we broke up and the breakup was sort of not really public but like set, like you know the Daily Mail ran articles on it and like I did an interview where I was like I'm never going to talk to her again blah 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 and she did an interview where she said something and like and it just kept an interview by up. choice or how did that come no, about like, no I think I did an interview and they asked me about her and I went I'm not going to talk about I'm not. I'm, I'm never going to speak right. to her again so there's no so point so the headlines Matt Richardson says yeah, well, he will the, never speak to her again but then again. the weird thing is is it's enough that the Daily Mail put it online, but every comment underneath is, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> That's where I sit. Like, I, I qualify to get over the hurdle, but no one cares. Matt, this is our first big celebrity couple question on this second series of the hey. podcast, and you're trying to downplay it, Matt. Absolutely, but then I kind of... So we were together still. Uh, we, were, we weren't together, but I stayed with this publicists, right? right? But they were very much like, you know, the celebrity side of publicity. And I started seeing another girl, and they were like, hey... 
who's my now girlfriend I've been with for five years, um, they were like, hey, why don't you tell us, when you go out for dinner or something, tell us where and we can set up like a photographer and like set up some fake shots. And like they were, that's the kind of world they were, yeah. which I don't think really works if you're a comic anyway. No. Like people aren't going to buy tickets because you're at the opening of um, some shoe shop. No, the other, the other rule, I totally agree. And the other rule that I've, I heard and then completely understand is comedian, stand-up comedians should never get plastic surgeries, particularly male ones. Yeah. Uh, and when Steve Martin had loads of plastic surgery, I was like, oh, Steve, you've ruined your... You're such a genius stand-up, but yeah, now yeah. I can't... Like, you getting older and uglier, you were great when, when you were 22 anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was your thing. So don't worry about your looks now. Absolutely. Um, so that really happens then. So you so you yeah, literally yeah, yeah. get and an like, option to go and well, I did it. I have mean, a fake photo. Yeah, there's taken. like, it, and, it is, and it's a thing. And it's and it, you know what? It's absolutely fine if you want to do that, especially if your job requires constantly being in the public eye. Mm. So say like um, a Katie Price will then split the money with them as well. So she's making a fortune. Yeah. Whereas I, I wouldn't yeah. get that, would I? So Actually, that's right. Because I watched the... Um, I watched the Jade Goody, the three-part Jade yeah. Goody documentary, which is brilliant. If you haven't watched that, it's brilliant. And basically, she invented all of this, yeah. really. Um, and yeah, they did a great interview with the uh, photographer who basically, they met, he became basically her photo- her yeah. paparazzi guy. And they met, um, at, she, he just saw her in probably somewhere like Brentwood or somewhere at a cash machine and started taking photos. And apparently she just went, well... I'll take half of that if you want to do this together. And that kind of seems to be and the genesis made, of this kind of stuff. she made a mint, didn't she? Yeah, so, and so did he. And he was very honest about it as yeah, well. Yeah, and I think and I think there's a whole industry for that. But you can buy in, like, if you want to buy into that industry, so the problem now is for someone like Katie Price, who's having a really rough time, mm. which is a shame because like, I've done a show with her and she she is really lovely. Yeah. Like, she's a really kind, nice woman. Yeah. She's very intelligent. Um, but because she's... Because she's played the game for so long, you can't go, I, I don't want you to write no. about this because you've kind of opened it up. Mm. And I don't know if, you know, I mean, there's so much you can say about like the whole Caroline thing. Like, I don't think she ever really engaged. She never put stuff forward and leaked stuff herself. Right. Um, as far as I know anyway. And I, I'd say I would know. And if she had, maybe they'd have treated her a bit better? No, I think, um, I, I think if she had sold loads of her own stories and things, then you have to accept the blowback, the blowback on anything negative that happens in your life sure. that they want to write about. Because sure. they've written about the stuff you want them to write yeah. about. So there's kind of a back and forth. But she was still getting negative anyway. That's the reason I kind of asked. She despised it and she despised the sun. And like there is a lot of journalists who are now writing these very nice things about her who oh, were yeah. fucking foul to her. Well, and yeah. if, I, if, if she knew that they were saying these things, know, she would yeah. be livid. One in particular, who I won't name because yeah. I don't want to cause myself any issues. No. Um, but uh, but yeah, basically, it's it's. I think if you do it that way, but which and that's not for me. Like so, kind of selling stories and doing all that mm. isn't really my thing. But there's a few bits out there about my love life and stuff, especially because like my girlfriend now is kind of in fashion in the public eye. Yeah, but not really. People aren't that interested. Is she a model? Your girlfriend? Yeah, she's, she's a model. A model. But um, people aren't that bothered really. Is there a? So I, I I asked this question a couple of times in the first series. Um, it's my analogy of ways to work things out. If I could put a briefcase in front of you, Matt, with an amount of cash yeah. to say you would do a, um, let's call it, let's say a uh, four-page spread in Hello magazine yeah. with your girlfriend of the new house that you've bought together and your love for each other, right? Yeah. What, I mean, you know, is there an amount of cash that, w- that would do that 10 for you? or 15 grand. <laughs> okay. So that's okay because it's real. But then let's say then you broke up and it was then offered to you. The reason I use this analogy is because... Yeah. Um, my mum lived with Angus Deaton when I was growing up. Yeah. He was my stepdad. And so there, I've been in Hello Magazine twice. Once when they were still together. Yeah. Big family thing, dogs, me and my brother, blah, blah, blah. And then when they broke up, my mum did it with just us. Yeah. Right? So then in that instance, so fine, you do it 10, 15 grand potentially because it's all happy, happy, happy. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it breaks up and they're offering you more money, oh, but yeah. it's going to be, they're going to ask slightly more negative questions. I, I'd st- you'd still do it. Also, like, I think if, if you're going to do the first one, you should do the second one. Right. I don't think I'd do the first, like... Are you just being nice to my mum? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I genuinely think if you're going to do one, you should do the other. Yeah. Um, but also, like, it's... Everyone in this industry, right? There's not that much money in it anymore yeah. for most people. Like, there's still loads of mega bucks. But, you know, realistically, in the 90s, everyone was earning a fortune. Mm. Whereas now, if you want to make 15 grand by yeah. t- showing people your house, I've got no qualms with that. No, it's hard to turn your nose off, but money. And also, like, 
you know, especially like, I mean, next week I'm ho- I'm doing a corporate for Steeplejacks. Like, which one is arguably more depressing? Like, it's I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this corporate. Like, it'll be a fun gig. But do you know what I mean? Like, like what do you turn your nose up? Like, I know some comics who don't do corporate stuff at all. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, fair enough, mate. But, like, money's money for me. Like, this is a job. And I think that hello thing, it comes out, people see it. People that aren't interested in it don't see it. And then it's gone. Once the magazine's gone, it's gone. Do you know I what I mean? I think it's fair to say that everyone listening to this is about to want to know, what is Steeplejacks? Steeplejacks, you know the people that do church roofs? No, I don't rods. know the people Ste- who it's, do. It's like a Victorian job. Like, so it's people that fit, you know, do church roofs right. and, and kind of chimneys and they put lightning rods on buildings okay. and stuff. It's a really old school. And you're doing a corporate gig for the, the, for the head brass for of the, Steeplejacks. For the Steeplejack industry. For the CEO and friends of yeah, Steeplejack. But it's one of those where you think... I can't turn my nose up at hello. Like, if people want to do it to make money, yeah. like, fair play. Especially because, you know, lots of people in this industry are from money, yeah. which is something I was quite surprised about when I started, which is lots of people are from very nice backgrounds, especially actors and models. There's, are they honest about it, or do they try and pretend they're from a slightly more I think, difficult, I think less there's a mixture of both. Right. But, you know, a big part of being in show business is being okay to not work for points and in stand-up it's easy because you can gig so you can always work but um if you are from a background where yeah you've made a hundred grand one year but you've paid your tax bill and actually you've not really quite got enough cash and hello come along and go can we have photos of your house yeah absolutely fuck it like take it why not yeah i think it's fair enough no and also if they're thick enough to pay Take the money. Yeah, okay. I think that's fair enough. Um, I want to talk a bit about your... Uh, yeah. your I haven't seen your show, Imposter. No. But it t- it's about having imposter syndrome to do with being in the world of show business. A little and bit, stuff. yeah. You know, tell us a little bit about um, how that feeling manifests itself, I guess. Well, I guess, like, um, especially because I, like, I kind of didn't go through... I went to quite a big show early on. So I just, I just don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. Right. But no one's, no one's stopped me yet. But, like, people go, okay, do you want to come and host this show now? And you're like... Uh, yeah, I guess I'd love to come and host right. that show. Why not? And then they're like, great job. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just pretending I know what I'm doing. Like, right. I, did a, I did a game show last year for E4 called The Hangover Games, um, which didn't really connect, but was actually like, it's probably one of the better things I've ever made. Like, I was really happy with it. Um, and it was the first thing I'd hosted alone. And they're just like, God, you're such a pro. Like, you just know what you're doing. And I was like, if you had any idea about the anxiety I feel about this, right. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be saying that. So do you think that means that um, everybody doesn't know what they're doing and they just style it out like you're styling it out? Or there is some semblance of at some point you're going to be found out? Um, I think I might be found out, but I don't think everyone's the same. So I don't know if you'd mind me saying this or not. Many years ago, when we'd first kind of started to get paid gigs, like, you know, our kind of generation, mm-hmm. the first like 30 quids here, 50 quids there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was speaking to Rob Beckett about a gig that we'd both been booked for. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they've booked us for it. And Rob went, well, why wouldn't they book us? We're good. And, like, he just has this, like, bulletproof confidence. And you know what? Yeah, he is good. Like, why wouldn't you have that confidence in yourself? Mm. But I was all, like, anxious about it. And Rob's like, well, we'll do a good job. Like, of course they've booked us. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. So a self-belief that you aspire to have? A self-belief, yeah, I I would love to have it. And I think I get it more and more now. It's like, with stand-up, I know I'm, like... I mean, I'm not to everyone's taste, which is fine. But, like, I... I, like if I go and do a gig, I tend to do very well. You know at gigs. your craft. You know I know how my craft. To work it, I know yeah. how to do a gig. Mm-hmm. I know how to be really good at a gig, mm-hmm. even like a tough gig. So I don't feel like an imposter with that anymore. But um, but telly is still quite impostery for me. Yeah, because also like I, yeah, because I never intended to do it as well. It was never like the goal. Yeah, I think there's still a little bit of me that has ended up there by accident, which makes it feel a bit weird. I think that's it's refreshing to hear you talk like that much more than it would be if you were like. Well, I think I'm fucking brilliant at this TV, Lark. That would be slightly <laughs> less uh, um, stomach, uh, stomachable. What's the word I'm thinking? Uh, it would palatable. Be palatable, that's it. Stomachable. I just made up a word. Stomachable is nice. Yeah, though. I've just made um, that up. But then I think, like, and then I watch stuff back and I go, okay, like, it's been put together lovely, like, I've done my job and everything. But there's, I, I also, the weird thing is, is I've done, like, lots of telly, but it's not like stand-up where... I'm doing stand-up all the time, constantly. Like, even on mm. tour, like, I'm still doing club gigs in between. So mm-hmm. I'm probably doing stand-up five days a week. Whereas I might do 10 days of or 20 days of presenting a year, which isn't very much at all mm. when that's your job. So like, you know, yeah. you do one series of something and then that's done. Or like, I'll go and make a, say, a, a, a 
fact end documentary and that's five days of filming which yeah. is nothing really no. and in reality from any job I've ever had be that an office job or anything it takes you about 20 days to feel to get your feet under the table absolutely so when yeah. you're making something so you're like, probably always slightly on edge about yeah, it yeah it's you, by the time you're comfortable you know, I think if you do a show where, like, say, like Bradley Walsh hosting The Chase, where you're filming oh. 200 episodes a year. Don't touch me there. I uh, love do you the love chase. The Chase? Oh, my God. He's so good as well. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's, like, one of the best, he's I think. He's amazing. Um, but you get really used to it, and you're doing loads of series. Whereas most of the stuff I've made doesn't come back for a second series or comes back for one extra series. <laughs> so you kind of just get used to it, and then it's done. That's because they're spin-off shows, though. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I feel like spin-off shows are a little bit like, let's try it, see if we can grab some of that audience over yeah, and absolutely. get some of that advertising. And then if not, then it's no bother if we don't yeah, come yeah. back with it. And I've done a few like one-offs as well. So I've done a couple of, for ITV, I did a couple of like, I did a family guy behind the scenes special in mm-hmm. LA and I did a show about rich dogs, like which is only one week of filming. Um, so you end up kind of just getting into the groove and then it's finished. Yeah. And then you might not make another TV show for three months. Yeah. So whenever you start a new show, you feel rusty. Yeah. Which is a bit weird. The only thing I do lots of, that, but, and it's always the same format, so it works, is I do the Red Bull Soapbox race now oh, okay. on Dave. I've started doing those. And I did five last year, but they're so spread. I did one in April, one in August, one yeah. in October. Like They're so spread yeah. out. And is that you hosting it on screen or is that the Me voiceover? hosting it on screen. Oh, okay. I haven't seen great. any of you do that. Because you travel. I do sometimes watch those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the travel's the, brilliant. The soapbox is the one going down the hill. Yeah, yeah, Not down the one the jumping off a pier. No, no, that's the flug tag, which flug they don't tag. do on telly anymore. Right, because, because it's, it's, people break their necks. People get really hurt. Um, okay, this is the Almost Famous podcast. And as I mentioned in the intro in the first uh, series we talk to siblings or sons and daughters yeah. of famous people. I wonder how your um, fame success has affected your family. What do your parents think about it? Do you have siblings? How do they feel about it? Anybody, in, uh, any siblings want to get into the same kind of line of work? Any of that? Yeah. So um, the thing is, my my mum loves it. My mum's like me, like because I'm I'm such a like I love the trappings. Yeah, you right? said a lush. Like was I a good, love good way of I love like it. I love going to like the Grouch Show and like hanging out. They're like I'm I'm all I know it's really vapid. Are you a member of the Grouch Show? I am a member. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> um, uh, I uh, love the Soho it. House Group. Um, I've just gotten rid of my membership because <laughs> I didn't use it enough and it was a bit expensive. Um, and I was just about to go up to the. Over like the, I, w- I was losing my under twenty sevens price, yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it wasn't going to be worth it anymore to pay. Real first world problems here, guys. <sighs> I mean, I wasn't going to pay sixteen hundred pounds a year, um, but like that, I love and I love like you know being able to fly nice and all that. Like I love all that shit, which a lot of people aren't bothered about, but I I think it's great because I'm course. shallow, yeah. and my mum does as well. My dad it's just giving him an extra thing to stress about. Right. So all he's worried about now is the fact that my profile's probably dipping. Right. So whenever I see him, he's like, he's like, yeah, I watched so-and-so the other day. I saw blah, blah on it. They're not booking you, are they? You, do you remember when they used to book you on that? <laughs> or like, like I'd see him and I'll be like, oh. Push, like pushy parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be like, oh, this guy, like I went out for lunch recently and the bloke was really nice. The manager of the restaurant went, I'm a really big fan, so you don't have to, it was only, I, I'd bought like 12 pounds of food. He's like, I'm a fan, don't worry about it. Right. And it's never happened before. And I told my dad and my dad went, that was good, wasn't it? Back when you were famous. So it just makes my dad stressed because he's worried about my life and my career. Going to get your dad on for series, season oh my God, three. He's a nightmare. And my little brother is twenty-one, and he's just getting into telly. So he's just working on Celebrity Juice. Okay, and like, he's just in production. Yes, yeah, so he's a stand-in on Celebrity Juice at the moment, and he's done a bit of running on a couple of things. What's a stand-in? When they do the rehearsals, he has to do the show with oh, Keith Fleming. Okay. So he's been doing that because when I worked in production. Like we would, I was like a researcher AP. I would stand in. No, no, no. They get stand-ins now really? for certain shows. Yeah. Wait, so how been, do I apply for this? Yeah. I, I want back in. What a great role. Yeah. So he's just started doing a bit of that and like um, a couple of other bits and pieces in telly that I'm trying to help him get into. Okay. So he loves it and he wants to get into. He wants to be a camera operator. Okay. So he wants. So to he doesn't to want to be side. on screen. No, no, no. He couldn't think of anything worse. That's his worst nightmare. Really. And yeah, it's yeah. definitely not. I'm, I don't want to put words in your brother's mouth, but it's definitely not that thing where um, I don't want to say that, but secretly. Uh, no, 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 no. My brother, my brother is cripplingly shy, cute. and um, he's got autism as well. So, like, it's just too uncomfortable for him being like so the pressure cute. of that yeah. isn't good for him. So he, um, <laughs> yeah, but he really loves it and wants to work in telly. The only thing he'll he would go on is Hunted because he loves that so much. Yeah, That's so his I've, favorite I've got a very good friend who feels the same way about Hunted as I do about the Chase. The saddest thing about me and the Chase is that because I've worked in TV, you're not allowed to go on these shows. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you, I've tried to apply for like the Chase and Pointless, and it's the one of the first questions is like, have you ever worked for uh, anyone? to do with ITV and like oh uh, god yeah, I, I have. have yeah it's so oh, annoying what a nightmare I would be so good on the chase yeah I mean I d- I did the chase and oh, I, yeah. I loved it yeah. it was brilliant and did I you sma- win I, no so I assume you did Celebrity the Chase. I did the I did yeah yeah, the Chase. I did the Celebrity special. For me, that's when you'd know if you were famous if you got on Celebrity. It was really cool. So it was me, um, 
a lady from Corrie. I was going to say someone from Coronation someone Street, from surely. surely. Uh, Kirsty Walk yeah. from Newsnight and Jimmy Osmond. Wow. And that's when, you know, like, I, I feel famous when I get to mingle with, like you say, the old school lot, you know, the people that started earlier yeah. on that are in the club. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Osmond was fucking useless. Mm. Um, me and uh, the lady from the, uh, the Corrie uh, did well and got through. I, I got £60,000 in my... I went for the high. Oh, right. I did nine and a half yeah. grand in the cash builder. Yeah. Nine grand nine in the cash grand, builder. Yeah. And then you, I did... You took the high offer. And then I took the high offer and Because got you it. know... I mean, this is getting a little inside, but you know that the celebrity ones, the questions are easier, right? Well, yeah, and also, um, because they want, they do want to give money to charity. Yeah. So, the, like, I had a question about Green Day and about Blink-182, which I love. So, you know, like, it's slightly... Not tailored to you, but they, yeah. they play to your strength a yeah. little bit. Um, but I think the thing with it was is... Um, we then only two of us got through to the final chase mm. and Hard we lost win. by one question. Yeah. Who was the chaser? Uh, I had, because well, I did the Christmas special, I had Paul Sinner as my You chaser. must have gigged with Paul Sinner. Loads. Yeah. I know Paul really well. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, we had the Vixen in the final chase. So we had all the chasers on oh, us. Oh, okay. Which is oh, quite I've cool. not seen that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need yeah. to see that episode. Well, Paul has um, shown interest in coming on this. I'm hoping he will because uh, I tweeted him and he said he would. But I then spoke to his agent. He's like, uh, is there a fear? Like, no. <laughs> it's <laughs> a podcast? <laughs> it's a podcast. Hello. It's too early in the lifetime of podcasts for there to be many um, fees. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun though. I liked doing it. Really good. Um, you've touched upon this a bit. So if you don't want to go any in, no, into no, any no, more depth, fine. I just wonder if there's anything about your, um, you know, fame, being on TV, any of that that's kind of had direct effect on your mental health, that kind of side of it. You've, you've talked a little bit about um, the realities of, of social media and seeing kind yeah. of the negative side of that. But do you, do you feel like that directly affects you in any way? Or, or you, you seem know quite... what? I don't think Pause. The, I don't think the external stuff affects me very much. Mm. I think it's... But I think the the rolling with the punches nature of this job now really, really affects me. So like, I was on Virgin Radio for what, three and a half years and then I left in July um, and it was a pretty miserable time, like the last six months of working there. Um, when, um, I mean, you can draw your own conclusions from if this is the reason, Chris Evans joined mm. and it became a really not very nice place to work because of the pressure on the station as mm. well as, you know, from everywhere else. Like, And all of a sudden you've gone from a very secure radio job where uh, just before the Christmas they were going, oh my God, we're going to give you a two-year contract. We love you. We're going to pay you more. And then he started and they're like, we're not really sure if this is for you anymore. Right. And like all of that kind of like messing around, like, and they really mess me around, mm. like that company. And all of that's the worst part of it so can i ask and feel free not to answer any of this uh, because what i remember about chris evans rejoining virgin radio although there have been so many different iterations of it i'm not sure who owns it anymore whatever but was the the big idea was that he was joining to do the breakfast show and there were going to be no ads right yeah did that then transmit across the whole no so so your show would still have ads so basically what happened is is we went from when i joined virgin when we first when they first relaunched it and it was um owned by wireless group who own like talk sport and talk radio Um, and then it got bought by news uk that group got bought by news so that was why we moved up to the news uk building with the sun and the the times next to the shard um and then Chris joined. So basically we joined and we had a boss and it was like, do whatever you want. Like what feels right for you, you can do. And it was brilliant. We had all these really cool things we could do, all these mad features. And it was like Edith Bowman was on breakfast. I was on drive and it was really great fun. And then a new boss came in who went, let's all talk for a minute um, and do nothing else. And I'm like, that's not really what we signed up for here. If I wanted to right. do that, I'd have joined Capital or somewhere like that. Right. It's fine. That's what they do. But that wasn't here. And then... And then um, Chris was joining and it was like, oh, amazing. It's going to be this massive station now. Um, but what it essentially became was Chris Evans FM because they were spending yes. two million a year yeah. on him or whatever it yeah. was. So we went from being able to do what we were allowed to do to all of a sudden our bosses coming in going, um, no politics. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I talk about the Queen and they're like, we said no politics because it would upset Chris's audience. Right. And I'm like, I couldn't give less of a fuck about Chris's audience. Yeah. I've seen them getting in touch. They're all assholes. Yeah. Like they're all BBC Two, you know, think they can complain about everything like they did at the BBC. Right. Even though we're a commercial station. And then it becomes, um, can you talk about Chris once an hour? Can you talk about Chris twice an hour? Right. Because the ratings weren't as good as they should have been on that show. So we all, and it was just, and I mean, I ended up leaving and I, I mean, and it was fine. Like, I was happy to leave. Okay. But it was them going, we love you. Can you stay for ages? And then going, actually, we don't. And then going, oh, actually, no, we do. Like, yeah. I'd won, 
I'd won a couple of awards in the autumn for yeah. my show. Funniest and of, show, I remember. Funniest show won. I got yeah. nominated for. And then I, I won in the... So pre, wireless have like 80, like 60 stations or something. Mm-hmm. And I won presenter of the year in the internal awards. Amazing. And then a month later, they're going, we don't know if you're good enough to be here. Okay. And I'm like, cool, can you pick a... Can you pick a can you pick a side? So difficult question. Um, as well as you know them having spent so much money, so needing the ratings to be big and mm. and wanting to plug Chris's show stuff. Did you get any sense? Because this is where my instinct went. Did you get any sense that in a similar way to how Simon Cole uh, Simon Cow was in all powerful control of his company, that Chris came yes. in and was making was pushing those one hundred percent. Whereas I think uh, probably at Radio Two, he like they go, he'd go, I don't like this, and they go, we're the BBC, we don't care what you think, yeah. we are bigger than you. Whereas Chris was bigger than the station, and like you know, I mean. Well, what intrigues me about that, just to jump in, is that I feel like Chris Evans is kind of the peaks and troughs of his career have been like he won himself back round to kind of public approval on Radio 2 because it was quite a formatted, um, easy listening, not yeah. too opinionated thing. And suddenly he's got this opportunity to go back into commercial radio and be... Um, you know, yeah, in charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And suddenly people are suggesting also, that he's you have to remember not that, like, treating them well. You know, he's, he's making the decisions up there because like, there are people running that radio station, but he's got the ear of um, other people up there who are higher up. And But also, Chris ran radio stations. Yes. Like, Chris ran yeah. Virgin very successfully so for a very long time. So, of course, people are going to listen to him. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not like he doesn't have the qualifications to do it. Like, it's not like me going in and being like, well, I want this and this no. and this. Like, he's very much in a position to do that. But um, but you were doing a good job. That's I so thought, confusing. I, well, I thought I was, and then they were telling me I was. Th- yeah. That's the problem. If it had always been a struggle... That's one thing. But they went from going, you're amazing, we love you, to um, mm. oh, we're not really sure about like, And that I really struggle with that back and forth yeah. of like, can you just tell me what you want from me and I'll do it. Well, to me, instinctively, it feels like ego. Do you know what I mean? It feels like ego clash, um, award-winning, young. Let's you know, let's let's. Put... I couldn't possibly comment. No, but that, although that, I can comment, and that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> but an um, ugly business. Yeah, I mean, the, I'd, I'd only met him a few times. Like, I didn't really see much of him, um, mm. and he was always. Apart from one thing he said to me, it was always perfectly nice. Okay. When the first time he met me, he, t- he said to me, I've never met anyone that can do stand-up and radio and do them both well. Right. And I was like, and I went, oh. But you know when you go, oh, maybe he's saying, I can. And then about an hour later, I was on my way home and I was like, oh, God, no, that was an insult, I think. Do you know what? My instinct when you said it was that sounds like it's a compliment, but it is hard to work out. Is he including you in that? No, he isn't. He's saying, I've never met anyone. Oh, right. Like, and cool. you're not going to be the exception. And I'm not going to be the exception to the rule. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's one is... of those where it took me. I was a bit like, do, do I say thank you or not? It's just a, a really unnecessary thing to even. I'm like, mate, you've got yeah. 50 million. Don't worry about me. I was going to say, I think is the issue here that you never took you for a ride in one of his uh, old sports cars. I mean, I'd have happily gone. Um, okay, so we're going to do a. Um, that was really, really fascinating. I'm going to do a bit of quick fire just before we go. Okay, so first thing that comes into your head. All right, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being famous? Um, oh. <laughs> the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me is um, I once I once went on a date with an audience member and it was a disaster because she wasn't <laughs> interested in me she just wanted to know about everything to do with television and I was like yeah I'm really cool and then she, was, she wasn't bothered an audience member from which show? from I went on a panel show called Sweat the Small Stuff okay. years ago and that's all she and wanted to and how did about. you end up on a date did you just go um, into the audience came, as I was walking out of the building her friend was with her and she went there's my friend's number give her a ring and she went like that and pointed at her okay. and I was like alright fine I'm single that, why that, not that goes down as the trappings the trappings of and it was, uh, fame I think. and it was a mistake I shouldn't have gone that's fine that's fine uh, the best thing about being famous um, being a lush probably all, all the trappings like you said yeah also better customer service online and stuff like I've had some really good things happen like I've tweeted certain companies That's and they've so sorted shit out for the rest of us uh, yeah I had a problem with an Airbnb once when I was abroad and I had the I had a refund and the money back within half an hour wow. to go and use a hotel. Because they're, they're, so they're so afraid of you using your audience. That's yeah, why. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and the worst thing about being famous? Um, I don't think that I, I don't have anything bad about it. Like for me, it's a very easy ride for me because I yeah. don't have the major huge trappings. Okay, and uh, what advice would you give to someone young who wants to be famous? And I specifically use the word famous there, not necessarily want to be very successful as a stand-up, but want to actually get into fame. So basically those YouTube kids. Um, I would say that fame is mostly admin. Like, it's not actually very glamorous. The bits where you are famous on a red carpet and things like that bear, like aren't happening all the time. Okay. Most of it is like a full-time day job of admin and logistics and emails and things like that. So I would say don't think you just get to swan around all day. It's it's really a lot of work. Yeah. Like, the Kardashians, I think, probably work incredibly hard. They do. Well, definitely the mother does. Yeah, Because she absolutely. manages all of them. Um, 
who, and you mentioned you know a lot of very famous people. Who's the most famous person in your phone, do you think? Sharon Osbourne. Oh, wow, you've got that. You, yeah, Sharon Osbourne's quite a good away. one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got, some, I've got lots of like mid-level, but Sharon Osbourne's quite a biggie, I think. She's oh, my favorite. Sharon you... Osbourne or Gary Barlow, they're my two big fans. God, I love ones. Gary Barlow. I love <laughs> Gary Barlow. Okay, and the final question I ask everyone, uh, knowing all that entails and with the benefit of hindsight, mm. would you give fame up if you had the chance? By which I mean you have all the same... Um, you have exactly the same finances, you have the same life, the same girlfriend, you have everything, but you don't get stopped in the street anymore. Yes, that's fine. It doesn't happen enough for me to love it. Like, <laughs> that wasn't, it that wasn't, wasn't like the whole, I hate it that much that yes, no, I no, want to get I, rid I, of it. No, I mean, I like it, but it doesn't happen enough for me yeah. to miss it. Good. A good pithy answer. Very good to uh, conclude our uh, you know quick question section with pithy answers. Thank you so much. Is there, uh, before I do my outro, is there anything you want to plug? You've got your tour on at the moment. Where can people go to see where the uh, dates are? MattRichardsonComedy.co.uk Okay. And anything else you want to plug that you've got coming up? No, just just that. Please come Guys, to the tour. I've got nothing else going go on. Go to the website. Uh, <laughs> you can see them at places I know because I've seen such as my old haunt, Guildford. That was, that was, you, you played there. G-Live. You played Maidenhead. I did. Where, have, Maidenhead you got, coming? where have you got coming up? I've got, um, when does this go out? It, either this week or next week, probably. Oh, fantastic. Um, Swindon, uh, Maidenhead. I've got um, basically a few up north. So I've got like Liverpool and um, I've got London, the big one, which is selling appallingly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so London's the one to come Where, to, Where's guys. the venue in London? Leicester Square Theatre. Leicester Square Theatre in London. It's a beautiful place. Make sure you do. Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having uh, me. Everyone at home, do press that subscribe button on Almost Famous. Leave us a comment and a rating if you can. God, I would love you so much if you would just do that. It really helps us. Uh, find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. Until next time, next time. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.